brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. You thirst for some significance of the both dimensional kind you enter a realm of spirit of sight and sound and mind your radio is a cosmic doorway and your psyche begins to spark when you tune in to gary and the sun and night dreams Tom Davis with Metatron Power and Light. 
Our songs are inspired by our own experiences and the stories of people we've met. We know what we've seen, and we know the truth. We are not alone. What's unusual about Metatron Power and Light as a band is we share the same beliefs. We've all had similar experiences, and together through music, we can explore the kinds of subjects that haven't been presented in exactly this way before. We want everyone to know that what you're going through, we're going through. When you're being told one thing and seeing another, we're here with you. Music brings people together, and together we're strong. The views, opinions, and representations expressed on the Night Dreams Talk Radio Network and its website are those of the hosts, guests, and participants, and are not necessarily those of or endorsed by the network, its affiliated stations and broadcasts, the management, other hosts, or advertisers of the network. The shows found on the Night Dreams Talk Radio Network can, but do not necessarily, promote any particular lifestyle, belief, religion, political affiliation, or other personal practice. These shows are for entertainment purposes only and are not intended to treat, diagnose, and or claim any cure of disease or condition or give any medical or legal advice. Good evening or morning, depending on your time zone. From the Pacific to the Atlantic to you worldwide, get yourself a cup of java and find a comfy, easy chair and get ready for Gary and his guest on Night Dreams Talk Radio, After Dark. And now, here's Gary. And here I am. I hope everybody's having a great one. Boy, the week is going so fast. William Shatner uh, did an interview. You know, he's 90 years old. He had just finished a movie. He wants to do another movie. But, you know, at 90 years old, he's saying, well, maybe his future isn't that much longer. And what he said, he when he passes on, he wants to be buried under a tree out in the forest where the tree could live hundreds of years and nourish off his remains. Very interesting. Well, tonight is, well, another night of UFO week, and it's going to be a really great show. We got Dr. Bob Wood and his son, Ryan, on. And then later tonight, we got James Clarkson, who is a retired police detective. And we're going to talk at, with him about crashed UFOs. By the way, you can check our website out at www.nightdreamstalkradio.com. Don't forget this Friday at nine o'clock when we're done with our two guests we're going to take a few call-ins and what is going to happen with each person that calls in and tells us a story about maybe seeing a ufo or maybe being visited by et we'll get a t-shirt and actually a book also a brand new paranormal book a great book by the way and you're going to get a metatron power and light t-shirt now who's metatron power and light well i can tell you really quickly the music you hear on our show is, well, Metatron Power and Light. James, who's our guest tonight? 
Well, our guest tonight, I got to tell you, I'm very thrilled to say and honored to have co-guests tonight. One is Dr. Bob Wood. He is world-renowned UFO investigator, a longtime director for MUFON, and has spent 40-plus years at Douglas Aircraft. He has been a great asset to the ufology field. The other co-guest is Ryan Wood. He has lectured on UFOs, investigated, researched, and produced a UFO documentary. And he also has been one of the greatest assets to the field of ufology. Well, it sounds like it's going to be a great show here tonight, James. Oh, absolutely. I'm excited to have them both on and can't wait. Oh, I can't either. Well, Dr. Wood and Ryan, well, welcome to the show. Thank you. Great to be on. Well, I'm going to start with you, Dr. Bob Wood. You've been on the show numerous times. The listeners really like what you have to say, but we probably have new listeners that don't even know who you are. Can you, well, tell them a little bit about yourself? What got you into the whole field of aerospace? What got you interested in UFO, uh, UFOs? And what got you into, well, writing books and move on? Okay, I think I'll cover all those three questions briefly. I uh, started at Douglas Aircraft Company and was there for 43 years. Uh, my uh, principal focus was on uh, ballistic missile defense, helped design the Nike, Nike Zeus missile. And later on, I was involved in uh, some classified work, which was kind of, kind of interesting. And uh, then finally wound up helping design the space station. But uh, at one time in the, in the middle of that career, I was asked to lead a project on uh, figuring out how UFOs worked. And so uh, we spent a half million dollars in a year and a half, and I had to hire somebody who knew the subject. It was Stan Friedman. So uh, Stan, as you may know, has become a a kind of famous guy, but he's he's unfortunately passed away. Um, But uh, later, when I retired in 1993, I got a call from Stan, and he said that he had uh, heard of a uh, a classified document uh, called uh, Special Operations Manual, Extraterrestrial Entities and Technology Recovery and Disposal. Uh, he just had a fax of it, but that was I interested in trying to authenticate it. And that was when I first became involved in authentication. And uh, together, actually, Ryan and I both uh, talked about it and uh, worked, worked on it. So we put together a uh, presentation uh, in the vicinity of about uh, 1999, I guess, um, to uh, a UFO group. Uh, claiming that this was an authentic document and provided all of the evidence that it was. And it, it was uh, apparently successful because from that point on, uh, we got recognition and um, even got enough uh, acclaim that people started to wanting to send me documents. So I had one guy whose name is Tim Cooper who sent uh, large numbers of documents. And in fact, uh, the website that Ryan has, which is uh, www.majesticdocuments.com, has uh, dozens, actually probably 50 of these uh, documents that have been uh, authenticated and uh, are in high quality. And for the most part, they're secret or top secret or fascinatingly related to UFOs. So that was the kind of the beginning of my story up to the... the uh, well, actually, then we then Ryan Ryan decided to put on some crash retrieval symposia for seven years, starting about 2000, I think, and uh, that was that was interesting because that gave both of us good visibility. And uh, I got a call from a guy by the name of Bill Tompkins saying he wanted to write his autobiography, uh, 
and uh, he had been in the Navy and had a, a story that was amazing. In fact, it was so amazing I didn't believe it. But it, it turned out that he worked at the same place I did, Douglas Aircraft Company, and knew the same people, and I concluded that his, his story was good. And so that story was published then uh, by me called Selected by Extraterrestrials in the two volumes, volume one, volume two, uh, which is everything that he typed on his typewriter um, and computer. And uh, volume three is what I'm working on right now, which is everything that he spoke. And so we have the transcriptions of about 40 hours of speeching, speeches that he, he had given. And that's kind of uh, where, where I am in, in current publications, except that I continue to be involved and interested in authenticating question-leaked UFO documents. And uh, uh, later on at the end, if you're interested, I can tell you about a, a couple that I think are in- intriguing and uh, we're, we're still, there are still issues as to whether they're authentic or not. So that's sort of a simple summary of uh, how I got started, how Ryan was involved, and where I am now. Interesting. Now, Ryan, why don't you tell a little bit of background about you? Well, uh, thanks, Gary. I um, I, I first uh, met Stan Friedman when I was 15 years old or 14 years old when he came to dinner and, and sort of had a fascinating um, interest in in what he was doing. Uh, through high school, and actually one of the experiments that uh, my father worked on uh, uh, on deciphering the physics of UFOs was a turn to a senior project in the Orange County uh, uh, Science Fair where we tried to change the speed of light by uh, using a Michelson-Morley interferometer, which is sort of fun. And, and But I sort of was an analyst and on the side through college, and it wasn't really till um, you know, the early 90s when I started going to the MUFON conferences and um, the leaked documents started to come from Tim Cooper and we went to Big Bear Lake where we, we talked about that and um, started to absorb and, and detail the authenticity process. Um, and then I, I kept involved with that. You know, I still had a job at, at various companies in corporate America and it uh, really wasn't until about 2003 where I started the International UFO Crash Retrieval Conferences that ran for seven years consecutively, um, where we'd have uh, basically a weekend in Las Vegas with um, oh, uh, 15 to 20 speakers, including people like your next guest, uh, Jim Clarkson, and uh, the story of June Crane and crash retrievals. Um, But the whole focus of the conference was on crash retrievals, UFO crash retrievals, with with hard evidence, with interesting witness details, and and rating their authenticity. Uh, And generally, I had experts in uh, Roswell come and talk, or experts in... Uh, Shag Harbor or Kecksburg or um, Jim Mars, uh, now deceased, but a, a big figure uh, in the Aurora, Texas, 1897 case. So this was a breeding ground for a lot of the big names that you hear today, uh, um, like uh, um, Richard um, Dolan. Jim, yeah, thank you. Uh, Dolan and um, Nick Redfern and 
many others um, that uh, have continued to press on in the investigation. Uh, and then I, I started um, a company that I run, Frontline Aerospace, and um, shifted my time away from ufology and focused um, much more on on business. Um, so that's my um, sort of trajectory in ufology. Um, academically, I have a degree in math and computer science, and uh, I've worked most of my life in in corporate America, as well as a couple of Silicon Valley startups and my own companies. Wow, it sounds like you've been really busy, sir. Now, Ryan, you mentioned that at when you're 15 years old, you had these people coming over for dinner. Now, a lot of kids at 15 years old, they're not into ufology or UFOs or ETs or any of that type of stuff. Uh, we, because of your dad, I mean, were you into UFOs at that point, or is that what kind of sucked you into it? Uh, no, it was, I mean, Stan Friedman was a, a nuclear physicist. If anything, the conversations were more about physics, because my dad has a degree in physics. Um, and so it was, you know, I don't remember many of those conversations now that I'm, you know, 65 years old. Um, and but it was uh it was not so much about lights in the sky or abductions or uh crashes uh, back then it was interesting anomalies and well how could this really work um it, again it was it planted a seed more than gripped me into a a deep dive trajectory out of curiosity, when did you start getting involved in UFOs? I mean, what got you into it? Uh, well, it was really my father's, uh, when the special operations manual was uh, first sort of retyped and, and looked at, and that was really uh, interesting. And then Tim Cooper, um, the trove and the multiple trips to, to Big Bear where he'd we'd get a few documents and you'd be reading these classified documents that were just stunningly um, fresh with detail and insights uh, about the, the challenge of, of crashes and extraterrestrials. But uh, I always thought that the critical element um, for the public and the world was to go after the physical evidence and the hardware and the crashes and that proof of military cover-up. Um, I'm, I'm fond of saying, uh, you know, I specialize in documents and UFO crashes. I don't think about or look at the other uh, equally interesting and complicated areas of ufology, but that's my specialty. How many crashes do you think has been documented one way or the other out there? Um, well, in my book, uh, which is out of print, um, and very expensive on Amazon called, uh, Magic Eyes Only, M-A-J-I-C, Eyes Only, uh, documents 74 UFO crash retrieval cases from around the world. Uh, however, sitting on my desk at home, awaiting my time and focus, is another 25 crash cases that need to go into the second edition. So I would say that I've got my handle on. Now, they vary in authenticity and in detail and credibility. Um, 
all the way from, you know, I don't know if this is real, it hasn't been investigated very well, to things that have been thoroughly vetted and investigated, like, you know, Roswell. Um, so th they vary in quality, but uh, I would say I'm aware of 100, and I have a bias towards English-speaking uh, environments, and uh, China and Russia and Brazil and India and many other places around the world um, we really don't have good data for. So I suspect that the true number as of today is, um, you know, in the few hundreds. Um, that's scary. So that's, that's my estimate. That is scary. I, I wonder how long, you know, the government actually can keep covering those crashes up. Well, that's a great question, and it's a complicated one. Um, I think it's a very long time. Everything truly important is underground, and any sort of UFO crash is, is immediately swept up and uh, compartmentalized and, and basically outside of what I believe the Department of Defense or DOD world uh, operates uh, with. So it's it's hard to know, um, but I if think I could mention, will... uh, can I butt in for a second? Yeah, go ahead. I just, I just wanted to say that uh, one of the most recent ones that uh, is being discussed now is uh, is one uh, one month after the Trinity burst, uh, where we set off our first nuclear explosion, and uh, that that's written by Paula Harris and Jacques Vallée, uh, and it's just brand new. Uh, I'm halfway through it, but it, it's uh, it's very clear that this is a legitimate case where there were some witnesses, and we had a highly sophisticated process for removing the parts and keeping it secret. So that secrecy process has gone on and on uh, through the years. Uh, it's even described in detail in the uh, a document that is being authenticated, uh, 47 pages from the DIA, which uh, not only describes the process, but also... Interesting enough, has the interview with uh, with an alien that was recovered uh, from uh, one of the crashes. So I just wanted to mention that the, there are new ones coming up all the time. Interesting. Now on these crashes, guys, uh, are these remains of these UFO crashes in any of the documents? Are they similar to you know each other, where maybe they're coming from the same you know out there from wherever, or are they? completely different uh, from each other? Well, that's a great question, Gary, and the answer is it's a, it's a mixed bag. It, you know, some seem to be small, you know, acorn shape, uh, one or two pilots. Uh, some are claimed to be, you know, much bigger uh, lenticular things the size of multiple houses where people might go inside and it would feel like you're in multiple football fields. So it, it really, it suggests that each ship has multiple or different missions and may deal with different races. Um, and, and they may be piloted by, you know, androids uh, and less sentient beings and more susceptible to um, our natural challenges of Earth's uh, lightning uh, or the deliberate attempts of our 
radar systems to confuse their navigation and cause them to crash, which there is evidence from uh, uh, Colonel Corso and his book Beyond, what was it titled, Dad? Beyond Roswell, I think. Yeah. Now, now, in these documents that you guys both, you know, reviewed and all this stuff, and I know that your dad, you know, Dr. Wood, has a lot of documents. I I mean, does anything on these craft, anything point hostile or anything in any of these documents? Well, does anything point to what? It's a very interesting question. Hostile. Hostile, yeah. You want to take that, or do you want me to? Uh, why don't you take it? Okay, so I, you know, it's, there's descriptions uh, from the Roswell crash of the power plant and their 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 fusion or, or uh, neutronic engine, um, and there's descriptions in other documents of, fiber optic um like cabling um and there's hints to modern reverse engineering but i don't recall much in the way of of weapons um other than i think there's there's sighting reports and encounters where people have been you know picked up with tractor beams or uh, or zapped, or or then there's some positive things too, where people's uh, vision has been healed, or other ailments have been healed in encounters. Um, it seems to be a mixed bag. Now, Doctor Wood, I got to ask you a question. With all these documents you've had, and I know you had and have a lot, uh, is anything pointing out to? alien uh, takeover of our planet or any documents that it it kind of like is causing the government not to want to admit that we're being visited? That's a very interesting question, but I think uh, the the answer I would have is that the uh, vast number of the documents that we have are are merely reporting on what uh, people in the government have written uh, about what they observed. for example, the the early earlier documents were during the Battle of L.A. Uh, 1942 uh, were describing the fact that uh, the Navy recovered one document or one one craft at sea, and uh, the Army got another from the San Bernardino Mountains, and and they're just reporting the facts. Uh, in this case, it was Marshall reporting to uh, President Roosevelt, um, and. Uh, the, the later documents, um, for the most part, again, are, are, I would say they're probably leaked by secretaries who had carbon copies because everybody used carbon copies in those days, and they didn't control the carbon copies as well as they controlled the rest of the, of the originals. So I, I think we're really looking at uh, um, internal correspondence that uh, is merely reporting the classified work that's been going on in, in crash re- recoveries and uh, in interaction with aliens. Uh, now, there's some people who specialize a great deal in um, alien interactions, 
And uh, one, I think one example would be uh, a book that described President Eisenhower's close encounters, where this specifically talks about uh, President Eisenhower as well as other presidents, um, but Eisenhower in particular signing a treaty with one group in 1954 and interacting with other groups, and Truman having signed a treaty uh, with a group because he was threatened. Um, an example of that would be uh, the overflights of 1952, where for two weeks in a row there were um, a large number of UFOs flying over Washington. We couldn't catch them. And it turns out that the, most people who do this research these days are, are willing to agree that those were not alien craft, but they were craft from the Fourth Reich, the Nazis from Antarctica, who threatened Truman basically to stop trying to dig into Antarctica and uh, stop bothering us and we'll, we'll, we won't bother you. So anyway, that's a kind of a long answer to your question about what's the, the nature of the documents. I think they just run all the way from, from routine correspondence with carbon copies to um, information about that's much, much higher level. Uh, speculating about more important things, such as uh, what really happened in the history of ufology. Interesting. that, And again, you know, we've talked about, you know, what supposedly happened, you know, in Antarctica. Do either one of you guys think that there's something still going on in Antarctica today? Well, I, I definitely do, yeah. Yeah, the, the, there's a an active uh, manufacturing program down there, pretty much run by the Fourth Reich, uh, in harmony with the uh, reptilian race. So that would be my, my view. Uh, and that's a summary of, uh, of what uh, Bill Tompkins believed, too, which is, uh, you know, the guy whose autobiography I'm writing. Very interesting. We need to take a break, both of you guys, and we'll be back in about two minutes. Uh, you know, that gives you a chance to get something to drink or whatever. We'll be back with both Dr. Bob Wood and Ryan Wood, and we're going to continue on for another half an hour. You're listening to Night Dreams Talk Radio. Again, if you're just listening to us on speaker or one of the different apps out there, you can now actually watch us on YouTube or watch me anyway. Eventually, we're going to actually even put the guest on YouTube with me. So anyway, we'll be back. So, uh, well, let's find out more what's going on with these documents and everything else. It's true that some things change as we get older, but if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause, and MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 
91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Make the world around me feel right. There ain't no way I'm ever gonna break your heart. Cause I love you. On the night with Night Dreams Talk Radio with Gary Anderson. We're here to make you feel. Hi, Tom Davis here with Metatron Power and Light. We'd like to thank everyone for all the positive emails and responses to our music. Our music can be found on Amazon, Spotify, YouTube, and all digital outlets and is featured on Night Dreams Talk Radio with Gary Anderson. Metatron Power and Light is a band that deals with esoteric subjects, the paranormal, and other topics that engage the spirit and mind. Visit MetatronPowerAndLight.com to learn more. We are facing a time of great change and the future is unwritten. But when we come together and seek answers, we expand our awareness until we begin to see the unseen. Uncovering Secrets allows us to develop the knowledge we will need to shape our future and control our destiny. You can advertise your business on Night Dreams Talk Radio and you will be heard worldwide. Why not contact us at nightdreamstalkradio at gmail.com.
You are listening to Night Dreams Talk Radio Network, from our compound to you worldwide, with your host, Gary Anderson. And we are back with Dr. Bob Wood and his son, Ryan Wood. We're talking about, well, all kinds like UFO crashes, documents, and all that stuff. Guys, you know, this disclosure that was everybody was really anticipating some major disclosure. You know how people in the UFO, ufology uh, community are. And everybody was so excited, and then it came out, and then everybody was kind of let down. What was your guys' take? We'll start off with you, Dr. Bob Wood, then we'll go to your son. Okay, well, I got a a kind of a simple summary. Um, I don't think that they had, the people who studied it, I don't think they had access to the whole information. In any case, uh, what they did was they said something was unclassified, uh, that the... uh, that it was unclassified, that uh, the visit, that is the detection of the aircraft by the Navy was not detecting anything that we built, and that's false. Some of, they said none of them are ours, and that's, not, that's false. Uh, the thing that they said was true, that we should continue to study them, and, and then half, they, they, they said they're a threat, and the answer is some are, and uh, some aren't. So basically, uh, they didn't have any unambiguous um, answer that was clear and helpful, in my opinion, because some of it was false, some of it was true, and most of it was based on data that they probably didn't even have access to. Very interesting. That would be my... Brian, what did you think? Yeah. Well, I let me just echo some of those key points. Um, everything really important is underground uh, at Area 51 or at Area 29 or uh, at various bolt holes or secret locations where um, people are working on extraterrestrial craft, reverse engineering and details, or, you know, allegedly there's discussions of live aliens and all sorts of information about this, which is sort of outside the Department of Defense's purview. It's it's deeply classified, well beyond, you know, the president can't just say, give me a briefing on UFOs. He can say that, and they'll give him the first level of briefing, and, um, and then you need approval, according to one of our documents, of, of the Majestic Security and Intelligence Command, a separate legal element, um, and... Uh, presidential authorizing executive order to get a little deeper. So the data they didn't have access to to show any um, details. And then it brings up the whole conundrum, which so many people like Richard Dolan, um, you know, wrote in his book after uh, AD, after disclosure, uh, the, the challenge of, of if you tell the truth, and the question is how much truth do you tell? Um, are there lights in the sky? Do two-thirds of the public believe in UFOs? Yes, yes. That's fine. Well, have the UFOs crashed? Well, yeah, they have. Uh, well, where's the hardware? Well, we can't give you that. And, and that just creates uh, turmoil and destabilization that would occur in, in an uncontrollable way. And, and that's the um, that's the issue, is that once the cat is out of the bag, uh, which is a terrible analogy, but uh, it 
it becomes really uncontrollable and you don't know where it's going to go. It could easily, you know, if you've got anti-gravity, um, you, you basically rewrite the entire petrochemical industry. Um, the value of oil reserves in Saudi Arabia go to zero. Uh, it, it's just the stress on modern society is just massive and uncontrollable. And uh, this is one of the core reasons why those guys did not get access to details. And even if they did, they probably were guided to say, well, just give me something that I can put in front of Congress to answer these basic questions that they have. And uh, are some craft hours and some of them ETs? Yes. Uh, and, uh, and it was sort of a disinformation uh, effort or a weak information effort. Um, and, and people like Steve Bassett are, are far more plugged into the entire uh, analyzing the UAP report and the development of it at DOD and, and how it gets reported out to Congress. Um, so all in all, it's a nothing burger. Well, you know, I, you know, Steve Bass is going to be on our show here in the near future, and he's been on the show a few times. And, you know, the only thing with Steve Bassett, and, and I'm not going to slam the guy because what he's doing is very important. Trust me, it's very important. But if you go back on YouTube and look at stuff 10, 15 years, you know, going back, he's saying disclosure, major disclosure is just a couple months away. Yeah. Well, how many months is there in 15 years? <laughs> Yeah, right. I'd like to uh, support some of the points that Ryan made, especially the point that he said that there's a black world and a white world. You know, even the people who think they've got the highest classifications don't really understand what's going on in the black world. Um, the, uh, th there's a kind of a, a funny recent release that I'd like to mention. and uh, the, the official three pages that came out of the Senate report were, were labeled classified. And recently, there were 11 pages released uh, called Classified as Hell. <laughs> and, <laughs> I, and it was written basically by John Warner IV, who's the son of the Senator Warner. Uh, this is a document that I'm trying to authenticate. But the reason it's fascinating is because it links Bill Tompkins to Eisenhower and it identifies Wolfgang Klamperer and a, a, guy, a scientific guy at, at Douglas that I personally knew and worked for as the leader of the, the, the guy at Douglas who de helped decide how to build the anti-gravity craft. And the, the, the craft that was made became Solar Warden was the basis of the work that was at Douglas. So anyway, this, this link is, uh, is not complicated. It's uh, deciphering TV classified UAP report. That's all you have to do is type that in. And you get it up, you get 11 pages of, of amazing stuff that uh, presumably are claimed by uh, the son of the senator who also at one time was a secretary of, uh, of the Navy. So uh, a senator who was a former secretary of the Navy uh, might have told his son a lot more than he should have. And uh, that's the question, is how much of this is real? So that's an example of, a, of authenticating leaked documents that uh, is going on uh, right now in my mind. So I'm not claiming any of this is, is real, but I'm claiming it's fascinating if it is. Very interesting, actually, what it is. Now, i got to ask you, Dr. Bob Wood, you know, you, you've been in the aerial 
space industry for so many years. If I remember right, you were uh, hired on as, well, with the, you know, with GE when they were testing the rocket V2 rockets from Germany that were brought over right. here. Right, that was uh, my summer job. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, you've been around a long time, but here's my thing. Technology-wise, if you have a crash UFO and the technology is 5,000 years or 10,000 years or whatever advanced over what our society is, can we actually back-engineer it? I mean, if I could go back to 1952, for example, and hand them my cell phone and say, hey, I want you to duplicate it. Could they have duplicated my cell phone in 1952? No, they didn't have the materials well, to do that. Yeah. But I, I, I think that the assumption that you're kind of making subliminally is that a society that's a million years ahead of us is so far ahead we'll never figure it out. And I disagree with that. I think that we are uh, 90% there now and that the craft that we have created uh, actually are, some of them are interstellar, and uh, they work on several different scientific principles, uh, and many of them involve time travel, um, and that there's interactions with time that uh, are close to what you would say is a million years ahead. But uh, I believe that that we are nearly there in understanding the the best of of the technology of, uh, of alien civilizations and that we have the ability to travel to their planets and probably have the tra- ability to travel, uh, you know, hundreds and hundreds of light years away. Interesting. Yeah. I, yeah. I would, I would disagree, uh, just to make it lively, uh, that <laughs> we're maybe only a few percent, uh, towards understanding maybe the fundamental principles of of uh, gravity control which would might be universal across the universe um uh, tapping the uh, zero point or the the force of space as they say in star wars um that may be possible in a classified setting um and and time travel and things like that those are really stretches uh you know the first generation um, iPhone is um, a lot simpler than the the one today, and there's a lot of subtleties in science that goes into all that improvement. Um, I think the best bet for uh, giving uh, you know an iPhone to uh, Benjamin Franklin would be to have him use the calculator function to uh, do do math or other things. So I'm I'm less optimistic that we've figured it out. Yeah, I that that's the part, you know, cuz my father was an electronic engineer and you know, we you know, that's what got me when I was 11 years old to you know, want to you know, get into amateur radio and then into broadcasting and electronics because of my father. And I remember having these conversations with him and but he what he would say is something is strange. Something happened in the late 50s, technology-wise. It was a big jump all across the whole. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high-fiver? 
I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At ChumbaCasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Field of electronics. Not normal. How do you feel about that, Dr. Bob Wood? Well, I, I think that that's right on because uh, some of the early crash retrievals, and in fact, in uh, one of the documents we have in 1947, it describes the uh, uh, laser technology um, in today's language. And so I, I think that there's a, and in fact, Gorso made an excellent point. I think there were six things that he claimed were specifically developed from recovered UFO parts. Um, in, including some of the weaponry. So so I think that, you know, we've been working at Area 51 um, with some of the best minds of the world uh, since 1951 or so, and uh, that's, you know, more than 60 years, 60, 70 years. And it's hard to believe that with the best minds of the world working with recovered parts, uh, as well as being helped by Germans who actually knew how to build them uh, during the war, that, that we haven't figured out completely how, how they work and have been making our own. Um, actually, the uh, attack by Admiral Byrd in 1946 on the Antarctica uh, was a good example of how we got shot down by uh, anti-gravity craft that were firing laser weapons. They, uh, there's, there's no doubt, apparently, of uh, the... Uh, actuality of, of that that uh, interaction well we do know something happened it, something happened because they were supposed to be there a lot longer and they came back way sooner and i think they lost a ship and and there were some you know other things that happened but again you know if you go online you, you, you supposedly there's a oh from abel burke himself you know his diary but again, you know, is it real or not? Have you guys ran in any documents about that at all in in your research? Well, I haven't about Admiral Byrd in Antarctica. I'm not aware of any, but my my father may be. Uh, it, this is an interesting uh, authenticity question, and if it was me, uh, I would want to go to the National Archives in College Park, Maryland and begin to research all the names of the people and the ships and the timing and who went and um, begin to delve into the historical record uh, to find clues. You're not going to find smoking guns, but to find further clues to augment uh, an investigation like this, which is um, worthy of investigating. Yeah, I really think it would. It would surely, you know, 
give us some more closure. You know, I got Tom Whitmore coming on here too in the very near future. And that's, I think, going to be one of the questions I'm going to ask him because, you know, he spent a lot of time going through all these documents trying to prove if they're real or not. And and how do you prove these documents, guys, if they are real? Well, well, there's several techniques. That's, that's uh, a great question. Go ahead, Ryan. Yeah, there's, uh, there's a great number of techniques that you want to look at. Uh, the first thing the FBI agents typically do is look at the provenance. Where did you get them? Um, and in, in the case of uh, the Special Operations Manual, Extraterrestrial Entities, Technology and Recovery, um, well, in disposal, I mean, right on the inside of the control page, uh, there was uh, initials of the officers uh, updating the pages, uh, and I found the uh, the book came from Kirkland uh, Air Force Base, uh, Unit KB-21, I believe, and uh, I looked up those initials in the Albuquerque phone book for 1954. 56, 57, and sure enough, I found two uh, officers living right on base on Perimeter Road. Uh, so there's an example of, oh, well, yeah, I think this document's real. Just on the provenance alone, the fact that I can prove the officers that were changing the pages, it's really uh, a long shot to say that that would be um, coincidence. And then there's the subtleties of, of that my dad investigated and found during the retype process of um, words like screwdriver being two words instead of the more modern cocktail word of single uh, word or or subtleties in, in hot lead printing presses uh, where the Z is slightly raised in authorized um, and that's indicative of hot lead printing press, uh, according to um, Robert McCarter, who uh, wrote the U.S. government printing style manual of the time. So you, you go to experts that could shed light on the authenticity of it and get their opinion as well as do your own research. So... That's a couple of examples. And, uh, Dad, why don't you share a few more? Well, you can also date the ink, uh, for example, by uh, taking a very small pin size sample from the page and determine that that particular ink was uh, not used uh, before a particular date. Uh, and so this is a way that we've shown that the uh, the timing in uh, the uh, Encyclopedia of Flying Saucers, uh, where we had these pages with red ink um, written by uh, military people who, uh, who were commenting on the document, we were able to show that they were all consistent with 1977, no later, as opposed to being uh, a 1999 fake, fakery. So um, th- that's a, a good example of of how you can date it timing-wise. Well, too, can't you also date the paper, too? Kind of. Well, sometimes. And you can sometimes uh, check the watermark. We did check the watermark of the paper. So all you can say is the watermark is consistent with a particular age, with what was used at a particular time. And, in, in fact, that was the case for, for this uh, one document, an encyclopedia of flying saucers. That was, that was one that was... Uh, 
uh, written by Vernon Bowen in 1961, where he it was uh, it was basically everything that was ever written about flying saucers in the newspaper. So he typed it all up and organized it and made a kind of a nice book, called it an Encyclopedia of Flying Saucers. And and because it was so sensitive, he he decided to lend it to his friend in the Air Force to see if there was anything classified in it. And the Air Force kept it uh, for 35 years, and then they mailed it, mailed it back to uh, Tim Cooper. And I met with Tim Cooper in a restaurant, and he opened the package in front of my eyes, and all these pages uh, tumbled out. Uh, the original pages with the uh, red ink that was written on by the Air Force with the classification. So it's a fascinating document, and uh, Ryan is just having it reprinted. Right, Ryan? Yeah, uh, we've just uh, completed the, um, the a book of it that's now available on, on Amazon, um, the Encyclopedia of Frying Saucers by Vernon Bowen. So you can, I think it's $20 or 1995, uh, it's a couple hundred pages, and it details, it's a very interesting story. I mean, the the title itself and the chapter uh, clearly show top secret magic uh, classification, no foreign dissemination. So as far as we can tell, it's, it's a thoroughly authentic um document that was sent and classified we we have the typewriter that it was typed on or uh we're, we're aware of that um as we talked to the son of the author uh so it's one of the new things that's out there that um was published uh, maybe 10 years well 5 years ago dad or longer oh no it was longer uh, we published it in uh, 2005 or so, something like that. Well, it was longer. Yeah. So now it's available on on Amazon, and um, and we're adding more material to it. And it, it's it's a great uh, snapshot of of what we've done, including. Um, uh, forward from his uh, son and uh, introduction from Dr. Bob and and then the whole contents. So um, it's it has linkages to Donald Menzel and his um, disinformation efforts and to Vannevar Bush and his uh, reading and involvement. So. It's again a, a very interesting new thing that's available for the interested public. Yeah, it sounds like it. Now I got to ask you a question: With these hundred or so crashed, you know, uh, UFOs, be it some of them maybe humanoid in it, maybe some android, whatever. I would think whatever the world they came from. Would be curious what happened to these people on these crafts. That's a lot of crafts that we have supposedly recovered. I mean, is there any documents you know with well, any of these? Yeah, I can I can cite one document. It's still a question document. It's forty-seven pages from the DIA, uh, which is uh, uh, basically was put out on the on the, uh, on the website. Uh, so everybody naturally assumed. It, it, since we couldn't prove what it was, it, 
that it was phony. It was basically a copy of a microfiche, and I retyped it and showed that all of the errors in the document were basically the equivalent of, of uh, type, typographic errors that were based on dictation errors. In other words, there weren't it's, I-T, S or I-T apostrophe S. That's the kind of error that we're talking about. But anyway, one of the whole sections there was an interview with an alien uh, from the Aztec crash. Uh, Aztec, uh, New Mexico, was one of the crashes that's in Ryan's excellent book, Magic Eyes, um, Magic Eyes Only. Magic. And uh, uh, that, that uh, uh, details the recovery of the uh, process of, of opening the craft up and then finding that there were about a dozen aliens there that were in a deep freeze and they got one adult um, unfrozen so to speak and uh, talked to them and uh, apparently Truman made a, a deal that he was if he was willing to be interviewed uh, that he could stay and so there's uh, uh, 600 pages worth of interviews with this alien over a year and a half who told us about his society. The, the alien was basically kind of a human-looking. He wasn't weird, um, but he wasn't identical to us. He, and uh, there, were, there were, of the different uh, children that were included, uh, two of them lived and apparently uh, joined our society. So anyway, th this is a fascinating uh, document, and I believe that it's uh, totally authentic. So you just go to... Uh, Put in 47 pages from the DIA, put that in Google, and it'll pop up. You'll see an article that I wrote, wrote for a MUFON journal in, uh, in December of 2017. Very, very interesting. Uh, go ahead, Ryan. Our time is almost up, but go ahead. Yep. Uh, I might also point to the fact that the Special Operations Manual has a, has a page uh, that describes the packaging instructions of what to do with uh, various types of crash retrieval parts uh, from uh, what do you do with live aliens uh, and you send them to uh, OPNAC BBS 01, uh, which we don't really know what that all stands for, um, to more mundane of of uh, where do you send power plants? Uh, we send to Area 51 S4, uh, or if if you have um, navigation or, or documents, I believe it went to Wright Patterson Air Force Base's uh, Blue Lab, um, and, um, and there's you know another very credible. I mean, the most credible Majestic 12 leak document is the Special Operations Manual. Uh, and it's also the most damning that there's a process to capture, retrieve, analyze, and um, engage with the alien presence, uh, both in hardware and in biological entity form. Interesting. Now, before I let you guys go, how about any of these craft that have crashed has there been any human bodies in it, in any of the wreckage? Any documents show that? Because I get so many people claim that they've been abducted, taken on board crafts. People claim that, you know, all kinds of stuff. And even Travis Walton, you know, mentioned that there were human bodies in that craft that when he was, well, taken aboard a craft. Any of these crash, any of these documents, any refer to, you know, any humanoids uh, in these craft? Well, 
Not that I'm... Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm aware of, uh, or or do I really recall any of the crash retrievals that I've written up in in my, my book, Magic Eyes Only?, which again is out of print. Um, is uh, other well, the Aztec, the humanoids crash is written up in your book, but it doesn't include any of the data that I just mentioned uh, from the DIA document. Ah, ah, okay. So that's the second edition. We'll have to uh, update that. Interesting. Uh, anything you both want to say? Anything before I have to let you go? I mean, if you got a book you want to plug or anything, now is the time to do it. Well, I want all the skeptics to go to www.majesticdocuments.com and take a look at the 50 or so documents that are highly accurate copies of what we've received, together with the discussion that Ryan has put on each one as to why what the level of authenticity is and how you decide what's authentic and what's less authentic. So I think that's that, that would be a big message. And, right. uh, of course, I have always a message of going going to uh, uh, to buy the book that I'm writing, selected by extraterrestrials, the autobiography of Bill Tompkins. Interesting. Yeah. I might I might add that um, that um, the skeptics and naysayers are, are generally not familiar with the evidence, and they don't want to be. Um, and that's really their their downfall. You know, it's the it's the evidence of and the data of science that uh, allows you to make progress, and you got to create theories and hypotheses that are supported by the data. And this is data from across time and, uh, and decades. Uh, and I once interviewed a CIA counterintelligence guy, and he said. And I showed him these documents. He said, Ryan, there's so much smoke here that there has to be some fire. Yeah, it sounds like it. Well, hey, guys, I want to both you, you know, Dr. Bob Wood and Ryan Wood, I want to thank you for coming on. And, you know, I really appreciate you both coming on together. Yeah, it's been fun. Well, thanks, Gary. Okay, you guys yeah. have a good weekend that's coming up, will you? And enjoy being where you're okay. at, Ryan, okay? <laughs> All right, will do. Okay, guys, we'll, we'll talk to you later. Good night, Gary. Good night. Good night. Well, we're not done yet. We got about another half an hour with Doc, uh, not Doctor, but with uh, 
our next guest, uh, James Clarkson, and we're going to be talking about, well, crash UFOs and all that stuff uh, right after this break. So stay tuned. You're listening to Night Dreams Talk Radio. History, I pause to take a sigh about the land Afghanistan where empires go to die. Alexander the Great, he tried and failed, the Mongols they did too. The British and the Russians, they got their ass kicked too. America's been there many years, and I ask myself why we don't learn from history where empires go to die. They say it's terrorism, that's political malarkey. Just follow where the money goes to a corporate oligarchy. The food crops they once grew with their plow and a hoe, then turned into opium poppies, growing row on row. Our infrastructure is crumbling, our social structure too. It's a corporate scam, they don't give a damn while screwing over me and you. About sunny young men and women Where empires go to die We lost people and treasure in Vietnam And there still ain't no upside We're doing the same in a no-end game Where empires go to die It's a new world order agenda With a demonic rising tide They want America's soul in a deep dark hole Where empires go to die Bring on the night with Night Dreams Talk Radio with Gary Anderson. You can advertise your business on Night Dreams Talk Radio and you will be heard worldwide. Why not contact us at nightdreamstalkradio at gmail.com. From the compound in beautiful Gig Harbor, Washington, Night Dreams Talk Radio presents your host, Gary Anderson. And that is me. Well, our next guest is James Clarkson. He's a retired law enforcement officer, investigator of UFOs and crashes. Well, hey, James, how are you doing? I know I'm not going to ask you about the weather because you don't live that far from me. No, that's very true, Gary. I don't live that far away at all, but it is lovely right now. 
How did you like it about a week and a half ago with the temperature as high as it got? I don't know. I was beginning to worry that maybe the world was going to end. That seemed so just completely different than anything we were accustomed to up here. I don't know what that all means other than my opinion is it spells climate change. You know, again, it depends on who you talk to. You know, I've had geologists on this show and all and one group will say, you know, guess what? It's actually not heating up. You know, Antarctica isn't melting. You know, it's actually getting colder. Then you have the other ones saying, you know, we're going through some major changes. You know, uh, Miami wants to build, you know, huge seawalls in the next 10 years. A lot of. The East Coast, if you got property there, well, you better buy a boat. Or be a couple hundred feet above sea level. Yeah, it's, it's getting scary. You know, in our own state, I've brought it up. Some of the big bottling companies, the big ones, have been coming into eastern Washington and buying water rights. Why? Well, I don't think that there's too much doubt that the ownership and access to clean water is going to increasingly become an extremely important economic and political issue in the United States and around the world. I don't, I don't see any way around that. Well, from what I've been reading, you know, the, the moon, too, is wobbling. And I read a report from NASA, and I read a, a report with uh, NOAA, what is going to happen? You know, like once a year we get these extreme sea level rises. And they, they're saying in about 10 years, it's going to happen once or twice a month. I mean, a lot of things are going on and, and, and people are in denial the same way they are with, I hate to say it, about ufology. Well, that was a really good segue into the subject. Uh, That's why I did Denial it. is a huge problem. So were you disappointed? I was about disclosure. I, I I keep telling my listeners, we got our disclosure in 1947. Roswell, if that is the biggest disclosure has ever come out from the government. But were you disappointed in this disclosure it came out? No, I wasn't disappointed at all because I had such low expectations. I... Uh... I really feel that the best illustration of that report to the government, the UAP report, I, what was it, nine pages long and not much content, was that it was exactly the kind of report that I expected they would get from uh, you know, a group that was tasked with giving a report that would be released to the public. I'd really like to see the one that is classified, but the best thing that illustrates it is that funny little cartoon you'll see periodically that shows Lucy holding up the football and trying to get Charlie Brown to try and kick it down the field one more time. And we all know what's going to happen when Charlie Brown goes running up to that football, which is she's going to jerk it out of the way. And I can't tell you the number of times that as a member of the UFO community, I've been extremely excited about some upcoming development and somebody telling me that disclosure was right around the corner only to be disappointed yet again one more time oh yeah you know there is a lawyer 
uh, paranormal lawyer, Michael W. Hall. You know, back here, oh, about two and a half years ago, he called me up and out of the blue and he said, hey, Gary, in the next two weeks, major disclosure is going to happen. It's going to blow the whole lid off. And I, I did notice a friend of his wrote a new book about ufology, but nothing came out. And then I called him up and I said, hey, Michael, where's this? Oh, it's going to be another month. It's delayed. This bombshell. Well, again, nothing ever comes out. I mean, Steve Bassett, the last time he was on my show, he said that, you know, just, you know, like around November of last year, major disclosure was going to happen. It never happened. I mean, and for every little bit you do here, it seems like there's a lot more disclosure. I mean, uh, disinformation or something to confuse the whole thing. Well, we live in an age where it's extremely difficult to get reliable information. I mean, we have way, we have information overkill, and we have people with way too much time on their hands. And now we have someone goes out and they look at two YouTube videos from heaven only knows who, and now they become an expert and they start getting other people to follow them. And somehow we have equated truth with the number of likes or, or your rating standing. And it's not, the, it's not the same thing at all. No, and, and I hate to say it, a lot of these YouTube channels out there, uh, and even some of these podcasts, you listen to them. And, you know, I, I'll have to be honest with you. I, I believe in being professional. I've been doing this 47 years. And all I can tell people is we're not alone. And you'd be really naive if you think we're the only one here at the campground, right? Walking. Oh, that's for sure. Yeah, there's things out there. And and I don't think, honestly, this is my gut feeling. I don't think the population could handle the truth. I really don't think they could yet. We're not ready. Not as, not as a society or a species However, I do think, you know, and this kind of ties up that subject of disclosure, at least from my perspective, is that individually we make strides forward. In other words, I think my guess is that somehow we're being prepared for something that's coming somewhere in the future that's probably just about inevitable, but we're being prepared individually, not collectively. We keep struggling to bring it up to a social or a collective level. And there is the one good thing that did come out of that report is that now, you know, they've made it more okay for pilots and military people to talk openly about UFOs slash UAPs or whatever they decide to call them next month. So that is some progress. It's not huge progress. It's not disclosure with a capital D. It's not the truth about Roswell. It's not the truth about a whole lot of things, but it's more than what we had a while ago. Well, it is major if you're a pilot. Let's, let's face it, because, you know, I mentioned to you before, I had a friend who was a vice president when Republic Airlines was still in business. They were at one time a major, you know, airline. And, you know, during Vietnam, he was, he was a colonel. He flew a B-52 and dropped bombs over in North Vietnam. 
And one of the, the last mission, actually, he was on, coming back to Guam, he reported on the radio that there was a UFO office wing. And he was told, you know, when the plane lands, not to disembark off the plane, him or any of his crew members that was surrounded by MPs, they were taken into uh, a building and separated and was told that they never saw it. Now, my friend was told that he wanted to make general. That that's w- wasn't one of his goals. He was told since he radioed what he radioed, his military career is pretty much over. He's not going to make any higher rank. And he retired. And that not just that, even pilots working for their airlines, if they sit there and report, there's a UFO off my wing, it's following us. Do you know what happens to them? Well, sure. But on the other hand, by contrast, and I believe that this this has uh, been going on for quite some time, if you are a pilot in Great Britain and you observe a UFO, you are required to report it. Oh, yeah. And well, see, that takes all the stigma away. That means that by reporting a UFO, you're just doing your job, which is how it should be. Because a UFO can be a threat to aviation safety, and any anyone who wants to dig into that can go to the NARCAP website, which I believe was created by Dr. Haynes, and I think it started back in the early 90s, and it's devoted specifically to analyzing UFOs on the basis that they might be threats to aviation safety. Well, they can be even threats to humanity, too. We don't, we don't know. That's another thing. You know, as you being a retired detective, okay, you know, we have to look at we don't know. You know, I don't believe it's all orbs and lollipops, too. Maybe there is some. But on the other hand, I, we don't know if they look at us as nothing more as insects and treat us the same way. I don't know. No, we don't. All we can know is that so far there's been nothing that is, by and large, there's been nothing that's overt on a social level where huge numbers of people witness the events at the same time and you know some type of operation is being carried out now of course the possible exception to that would be what is it march 13 1997 the phoenix lights right or the uh sightings of ufos over the nation's capital in 1952 i mean that begins to become a a more major event that has uh broad implications well, you know, especially the one over our capital, you know, we had Roswell, what, 1947, right? right? Now, supposedly, too, there's been a lot, you know, we just had Dr. Wood and Ryan Wood on the show before you, and, you know, they're saying there's between 75 and 100 known crashes documented one way or another with, you know, whatever documents is kind of circulating around. It makes you wonder if if you are from another world and let's say some of these crashes came from your world, aren't you going to investigate what happened to them? I mean, think of Roswell's 47, look in 52. UFOs went over the White House over in Washington, D.C. 
Well, they went over a lot of other places at the same time. 47 was a really good year for uh, really high-powered UFO sightings. I have the newspaper clipping for Portland, Oregon, where during that same time period between when Kenneth Arnold had his famous flight over Mount Rainier on June 24th and the Roswell weekend, the July 4th weekend, on-duty police officers in Portland, Oregon, saw four different UFOs flying over the city that were all described as uh, shining disks. One officer thought it looked like a a, a big hubcap in the sky. I mean, that's a obviously a cop trying to describe an unknown aircraft that's that's round. He likened it to a hubcap, but it, nobody knows what it is exactly that they saw. But these things were occurring all across the United States. Yeah, didn't it start off, though, too, one of the, the major uh, sightings, the pilot over around Mount Rainier? Oh, yes. That's why whenever I've gone to other states and I've talked about the history of UFOs, I jokingly always say, I'm from Washington State. They came here first, you know, as a matter of pride. But, of course, as we know, you can start talking about UFOs way far back into history and a whole lot of other places as well. But it's pretty clear that the June 24th sighting by Kenneth Arnold over Mount Rainier is certainly the big event in the United States. And it also happens to be where the phrase flying saucer originated is as a result of the news coverage of that particular event. Oh, yeah. And that's what got the, you know, people all of a sudden started, you know, reporting UFOs. But you, again, a lot of people, how many people are going to look in the sky for UFOs if they don't even think they exist? After that came out in the news, you know, worldwide, I think that drew attention that something, you know, is not quite right. Well, I, I think you're right. I think one of the ways that this is illustrated, which fascin- this is all, this part is fascinating to me, because I can't bring you a, a crashed UFO or an alien body. I wish that I could. I can only try and figure out what this mystery is as it is explained, memorized, and recounted by people, human beings, with all their you know, mixed up agendas and frailties and everything else. But the whole impact of the idea of UFOs is most strongly reflected, in my opinion, through the movie and entertainment industry, because it was back in the early 50s that we began getting real sci-fi movies of varying degrees of quality, admittedly, but some of them became like watershed events that are almost what you would call consciousness-raising movies, like the original version of The Day the Earth Stood Still. That movie changed a lot of people's thinking, including mine, as a young man. Well, I remember that, too, when I first saw it. I'll be honest with you, it scared me. And it, it, And it made me think, gee... You know, they could be here to help us. On the other hand, if we didn't take their advice, it'd be like, you know, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the uh, Galaxy. You know, they push a button and we're gone. 
Because look what happened in that movie. You know, we came there with tanks. We came there with guns. And what happened? What did what did the robot do? The beam of light that came out and melted all the weapons. Yeah, and evaporated the 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 soldiers that were holding the weapons or on the weapons. They were gone. There's a wide range of possibilities. Now, you know, you being, you know, being a detective and before that, you know, a street cop. I mean, when you investigate these things, I, I got a feeling you really try to dig into it more than the, the average investigator because you your background. Am I correct? Yes, you are. I, I try to evaluate information and, and I try to think if I find a case, is this is this something where I could bring the the witness into a civil or a criminal courtroom and have them get qualified as a witness? That's a that's a pretty high standard, you know. And obviously, we don't these things are do not occur in a court of law. But a a regular witness is sworn in; they're subject to cross examination. They have to identify themselves uh, properly. Etc. And then they're, you know, they give their testimony, and it gets evaluated by both sides in order to hopefully arrive at the truth, whatever that is. I got to ask you a question. Did you feel Roswell? Do you really feel Roswell was a crash UFO or a weather balloon? Well, I I've come down on that one many years ago. And the answer is, I believe that it was a crashed UFO that's been covered up. And I have multiple reasons for that. But I guess the three strongest ones that I would give is, first off, my friend June Crane that I met through a strange set of circumstances out in Ocean Shores, who ended up giving me her life story, revealing that she worked in top-secret laboratories at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Dayton, Ohio, and that the way those scientists and engineers discussed the whole issue of UFOs in a top-secret environment is totally different than what the Air Force admitted to the public, that those are two completely different things. So she is one, and there's a whole lot of stories that go with that. Uh, Another one is that as a result of getting her life story, getting her on tape, transcribing the tapes, getting all of her supporting papers, etc. I ended up donating a copy of that to the UFO Museum in Roswell, and I hand-carried it there. And I guess as a way of getting to say thank you, I got to meet Glenn Dennis and Walter Hout. And in the case of Glenn Dennis... I got to sit down in a in a room with the door closed, just him and I, as two people meeting each other and getting to know each other, drinking coffee. And when I left that room, there was absolutely no doubt in my mind that Roswell was a crash. It involved humanoid beings and that there was a cover-up. And then the third person... I got to know really well in 2017 because I rode around with her on a float in the parade that year in Roswell for their July 4th UFO celebration. And in fact, my wife got to know her too. 
And we have probably, I think, the last photo of her taken because she was, I think, 82 years old. Her name was Frankie Rowe, and she passed away about two weeks after I had that conversation with her. But when she was a young girl, about 12 years old, her father was a Roswell, New Mexico fireman, and she went to the fire station to get a ride home with her daddy, and there happened to be a New Mexico highway patrolman in there who was showing off a piece of metal that he claimed was from a crashed UFO. And it was the memory metal. Oh, yeah. Which is also, June, independently of that, told me about getting to handle a piece of memory metal, and she described it to me in great detail. But anyway, to finish out the Frankie Rowe story... She went home. She thought it was remarkable, but she didn't think too much of it until one day she was home a week or so later, and there's a knock at the door, and there is a military police officer and two other MPs, and they basically pushed their way into the house and threatened her mother and threatened her specifically and told her that if she ever talked about seeing that medal, that they would come and kill her and all the members in her family. And interestingly enough, she carried that memory as a trauma all the way till when she was telling it to me, when I watched her eyes tear up and I saw that she was still afraid. And interestingly, along the way, a man showed up at her front door years later with a bouquet of flowers and said, I'm here to apologize on behalf of my family. And it turns out that his father was that military police officer, and the son described him as a brutal, sadistic man who worked for the Army in the Roswell area during that time, and that his job was keeping people quiet. So I guess when I tie all of that together, plus everything else that I've read and heard and studied, for me, if I wanted to get the proof of Roswell into a civil court, I think there is absolutely a preponderance of evidence that says that Roswell was a crashed UFO, it involved non-human beings, and it has been covered up. I think that that ship sailed a long time ago. We've proven and proven and proven the reality of Roswell. And yet, sadly now, I hear new, new UFO researchers saying nobody cares about Roswell anymore. It's too long ago. All the people are dead, etc., etc. And I think, you know, if you don't study UFO history, you don't belong in this field. You, are, James, you just narrowed it. I had a guess, though. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. You know, who told me before he came on the show uh, one time that Roswell it is a has-been. But, I mean, what more documentation it, it, it came out? It, it's the best case for proof that something happened ever. And and if if you out there, if you're into ufology, you gotta. That's the the holy grail right there. That is the main thing. If if it wasn't Roswell, we wouldn't be talking about UFOs right now. Now, James, we need to take a break. We'll be back in a couple minutes, and then I want to talk to you a little bit about what happened in Westport again, because I'm certain we have a lot different listeners than you know, and more listeners than the last time you were on. And then I want to talk about in Mexico, what happened in then South, supposedly South Africa and any place you want to talk about for the last half an hour. How's that? That sounds really good. Okay. We'll be back with James Clarkson right after this break. Stream, hoping for what's true. 
Bring on the night with Night Dreams Talk Radio with Gary Anderson. We're here to make you feel Hi, Tom Davis here with Metatron Power and Light. We'd like to thank everyone for all the positive emails and responses to our music. Our music can be found on Amazon, Spotify, YouTube, and all digital outlets and is featured on Night Dreams Talk Radio with Gary Anderson. Metatron Power and Light is a band that deals with esoteric subjects, the paranormal, and other topics that engage the spirit and mind. Visit MetatronPowerAndLight.com to learn more. We are facing a time of great change and the future is unwritten. But when we come together and seek answers, we expand our awareness until we begin to see the unseen. Uncovering Secrets allows us to develop the knowledge we will need to shape our future and control our destiny. Good evening, or morning, depending on your time zone. From the Pacific to the Atlantic to you worldwide, get yourself a cup of java and find a comfy, easy chair. And get ready for Gary and his guest on Night Dreams Talk Radio, After Dark. And now... Here's Gary. And here I am. And I'll tell you, our guest tonight, James Clarkson, very interesting person. You know, again, retired law enforcement. So very credible person. Again, this Friday, starting after our two guests are, you know, over at 9 p.m., we're going to go a little bit longer. Uh, you can call in and uh, tell us a story of hopefully it's real, about your encounter with a UFO or ET or lost time or any of that type of stuff. And everybody that calls in that night is going to get a Metatron Power and Light t-shirt and a paranormal book. Now, I have a lot of uh, paranormal books. I get them all the time from our guests that come on our show. So you'll get a brand new t-shirt and a book. It won't cost you anything just for coming on and telling us your story. James, you know, I, I really think about, you know, all these crash UFOs. If there's been 75 to 100 that we, you know, documented one way or another, there's probably been a lot more because before they even, you know, like Aurora, for example, that happened, you know, back, you know, at the turn of the century in Texas. I mean, what do you think is happening? Where are these craft going after they're recovered? And again, what do you think they're, are, do you think they're back engineering them or are they just trying to hide them away? They're going to attempt to back engineer them. Part of the basic mission of the Air Force uh, is obviously to protect the people of the United States through air power. And part of that mission involves they have a different name for it, but originally it was called the Foreign Technology Division at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Dayton, Ohio. And that, quite frankly, was why I was a little, I think there's a little bit of, uh, shall we say, the shell game going on with this current UAP report because they're arguing about whether or not they should spend money for a reporting system within the military when, in fact... 
uh, Air Force Regulation 200-2, the original form, went into effect back in the 50s, and it required that significant UFO sightings be reported up the chain of command. And, uh, of course, anything that involved actual physical materials being recovered, the Air Force is going to attempt to determine if it belongs to an enemy power, what weaknesses does it have, and what kind of technology does it have that we don't have that we can exploit to improve our defensive and offensive capability. So obviously they're going to try and uh, disassemble and retro-engineer anything that they get, no matter how foreign it might be. Interesting. And again, like I was talking to Dr. Bob Wood, and I brought it up so many times, I don't think we can back-engineer a lot of the technology because, again, you know, go take your brand-new car, which is computer-operated, and take it back to the Ford manufacturing company back in 1956 and say, hey, can you duplicate this car? Yeah, they might be able to come up with the body. But, you know, a lot of the technology in that car, they're going to go, even with the top scientists, they're going to say, we can't do it. We can't. We can't that's right. It. Yeah. So uh, that's the scary thing. Now, we originally met over, you know, what happened in near Westport, Washington. Can you explain to the listeners what supposedly happened at Westport, around Westport, I should say? Well, it all centers around two particular days, Sunday, November 25th, 1979, and Monday, November 26th. Now, bear in mind that that Sunday is the end of the Thanksgiving Day weekend, and you have to think back, put your mind back in that realm where there are no, there are no cell phones, there is no internet, and so if people are reporting things to the authorities they are either stopping at a telephone booth, that strange extinct thing that only us older people remember, uh, or they went home and used their residential landline to call in to report something. What happened that night, basically, is that Westport, Washington, is the closest city to where this object crashed in a place called Elk River, as you Drive, actually, for those who aren't familiar with the terrain, western Washington, Interstate 5 runs north and south. Seattle is a huge city, the largest city up north. Uh, down south, you have Vancouver, Portland, Oregon. In the middle, you have Olympia. If you go 50 miles west of Olympia to the coast, you come to Grays Harbor. One end of Grays Harbor is... Ocean Shores, Washington on the north, Westport to the south. And as you drive to Westport from Aberdeen, which, by the way, is where I was a policeman for 20 years, you drive out that State Route 105, you go across the Elk River Bridge. And it's across from the Elk River Bridge that an unknown object crashed. And according to everything that I learned, was recovered by the military, and then they denied it. Now, the interesting thing is, people started reporting this object from as far away as Elma, which is almost 40 miles from the crash scene. And 
So I went back and was able to reconstruct the path of the object by asking each of the witnesses, what did you see? Uh, where in the sky did you first see the object? And since they said it was moving, I said, where was the last place that you saw it? Well, you could trace this in a line on the map. And there were varying descriptions depending upon whether the person was in a car or whether they were in their home or in the case of one man down by Westport, he saw it when it made a what I consider to be like a last-ditch maneuver. It did make a turn and went across the mud flats and crashed out there, either because it was going to hit Westport or because it was headed for the Pacific Ocean. I don't know which. It was described as being an airplane on fire. It was described by other people as being an airplane with no wings. It had no propellers, no nothing else. This, of course, is at night, but it was illuminated. And in one particular case, I the best interview that I had, the most fascinating interview, was with an elderly elderly lady in Central Park named Estella Crussell. And she was caring for her invalid husband. And she was watching the Sunday night movie of the week. And she was able to tell me six years later which movie it was that she never got to see the end of. And it was Oh God with George Burns. (laughs) (laughs) That was part of her recollection. She's looking at the TV and also looking past outside the window. And I don't know whether time was telescoped or what it was, but she had a much more deep connection with this craft. She described it as having windows, apparently being bigger in the front than in the back. And then she was, it was like a sympathetic recollection. She kept saying, I knew they were in trouble. They were going down. They were going down. She said that to me a couple of times. And you know, so it, it was a, fat, a fascinating case when you put it all together. But that was only part one of it. Part two was that I located all kinds of witnesses to the military being down in an area where they've never been before. They had never been there before. And they never came back there because they don't have any business down there. And off-duty police officers who saw military trucks and vehicles, funny little anecdotal stories. I love this in an investigation. People who didn't see the primary event, but they have an interesting detail, like a man who had a phone booth near his home, and he recalls seeing an unmarked military sedan pull up and a man in a dress officer's uniform with what he called scrambled eggs on the bill. This means a field-grade officer. Gets out of the car, goes into the phone booth and makes a couple of phone calls and then gets back in the car and drives away. I mean, that never happened before. I knew a sergeant at the Grace Harbor County Sheriff's Office who, during Vietnam, he was in naval intelligence. And by the way, this guy went on years later, his last job in his law enforcement career he was the police chief of annapolis i mean this guy was very credible yeah high powered very credible he tells me that he he was so interested in this crashed ufo 
that he got some of the locals to go out and prowl the roads, and he never found evidence of the UFO, but he was in a restaurant just a few days later, and he meets a group of guys that are off-duty, that he takes one look at them, and he knows what they do for a living, and they kind of knew that he knew. They were an off-duty SEAL team. They had no business in Grace Harbor that anybody could possibly imagine. So he goes up and starts talking with them and kind of yanks the old school tie about, you know, I worked with the SEALs in Vietnam, etc., etc. And then he asks about the thing that crashed in the hills, figuring that they know something about it. And the guy he's talking to just kind of smiles and says, you know, we're not going to tell you anything. And he goes, yeah. And then, it, and then this seal says, you do remember, of course, what part of our mission is. And this Sergeant Robertson says, what do you mean by that? And he said, well, one of our missions is to contact and acquire any downed aircraft, which is considered of interest in the interests of national security. That's part of their job is to be ready at a moment's notice to go wherever they're needed to recover valuable assets for the government. And then they won't say any, they, the SEAL team would not say anything more, and they went their separate ways. Uh, I talked to dispatchers that I knew. Back then, this is pre-911. All the police departments and the sheriff's office had their own dispatchers, and people would call in on an emergency phone number. All of them said that that night, the phones lit up with people calling in to report this weird thing that came down out of the sky. I met uh, off-duty loggers who didn't know anything about UFOs and couldn't care less, but they wanted to brag to me about how they stood up to those guys, those soldiers with rifles who were blocking the logging roads and wouldn't let them go to work. I mean, all these strange pieces of the puzzle, when all was said and done, I felt like it was a mini Roswell. But there was a lot going on in my life, and I, I didn't think at the time, I thought, well, maybe this is a military screw-up because the location where the object crashed is about 76 miles from McCord Air Force Base. And I thought, well, maybe some kind of a missile got away from them, and it almost hit a small city, and rather than admit that, they came down, sealed off the logging roads, recovered it, and got out of there. Well, it turned out that the story was a little more complicated than that, and thanks to my, my wife, Joanne, she went back through the file. This was years later, and she said, what about this witness? And I re-interviewed a man and got him on tape, and he was very open about it, and he happened to be a wildlife research scientist for, I think he worked for the state of Washington, and he would go out to colleges and schools and educate people on the wonderful sea life that exists in Puget Sound. Well, he was working out of an Aberdeen office, and he lived in Westport, and he commuted and he saw a UFO. In fact, he saw several UFOs. Not on Sunday night when the object crashed, but the next night. 
He was driving down towards John's River, headed towards Westport, and he notices that all the cars in front of him are stopped, and they're pulled over at the side of the road, and about that time, he looks up, and he sees very, very strange lights in the sky, so he gets out of his car, and all these people are standing there with their jaws hanging down, and they see one huge light and a bunch of small lights that are kind of orbiting around the big one. And being a wildlife scientist, he described them like a mother duck with her ducklings. That was his description of the big UFO light and the little UFO lights. And this is only a few miles from where the other object crashed it sounds the like night before. It just sounds like, James, they were looking for their lost uh, craft. Exactly. That's why I called that the other search party. And then he watched them all take off at very high speed in multiple directions. This guy is sane, sober, highly educated. Uh, he was perfectly willing. His name is Alan Raymer. He had no problem with me identifying him by name. And he told me, I, I don't know what I saw, but I saw it. And I'll tell anybody who, you know, anybody who wants to tell me I'm crazy, I don't care. I saw it. That's kind of scary. You know, and, and if I remember right, when the last time you, you were on, we were talking about it, th that a military transport truck, you know, had, you know, canvas over it with something underneath it and removing something. Right. And I think, I think clearly when you look at the timeline of Sunday and Monday and the loggers saying they couldn't go to work. I think the military was already in route when that thing was coming down. In other words, this wasn't, this wasn't something crashed. They got notified and then they rolled out. They were already rolling. They knew it was going to crash somewhere down there. That, yeah. Well, cause they, you know, they do track that stuff. I mean, it's kind of scary, you know, I, I again, I, cover-ups but it's not really that difficult you don't have to 100 percent contain a story you just have to isolate the witnesses or discredit one or two of them so that nobody is going to believe the people who leak you're right now we i want to jump into mexico and uh what happened with the crash with mexico from what i remember reading there was a down craft. The uh, Mexican military went to investigate it. What happened to them? And what happened? And what was that it? one? Is the the only, I actually I don't know that one directly, other than that I've met the author of who is the primary researcher. I think his name is uh, Ruben Uriarte, if I remember right. He wrote the book on that. And according to the information he got, they got they found a down craft and. Something about the craft was extremely toxic. Chemicals or biological, I'm not sure. I don't know if they ever determined it, but I believe that soldiers were killed as a result of coming in contact with the wreckage. You know, again, too, then our government got in there, our military, and then removed it. And it seems like our government seems worldwide, you know, like South Africa. I remember my friend Art Bell had a retired uh, Brigadier General 
uh, in special special forces, you know, uh, of the South uh, African military. They thought a aircraft crashed, and they went out to investigate it with their helicopters. They they when they landed, they realized this was an aircraft. Well, not from our world. And again, some weird things happened. One of the military people touched it and got sick. I don't remember what happened to him. But then, you know, they were trying to investigate what it is. And then they realized it was off world. The next thing, our military comes and retrieves it. Yep. I think that story has been repeated over and over again. But you see, look at the way things are now. There are so many sensational news stories coming out all the time the public's memory is very short the uh, news cycle is getting shorter and shorter between sensational stories so if a story like that comes out it's immediately buried by three more scandals and three more crises and people only remember the first accusation or the first denial in other words if if some authority figure says it wasn't a UFO. The best example of that, of course, is the Phoenix Lights. When the governor of Arizona, Fife Symington, holds a press conference because everybody is in a near state of panic demanding an investigation into the Phoenix Lights. So what does he do? He brings out an aide in a, a, with an, a rubber alien head and they bring him in in handcuffs and then he takes the, the mask off of his aide and they unhandcuff him, and then he tells the press, you people are taking this entirely too seriously, and they all have a big laugh, and that's the end of the story in the media. Yeah. I mean, well, e even though you have a mass UFO sighting with military involvement. Well, didn't that also happen near Mexico City, too? I don't know as I don't know as much about the cover up but I recall seeing actual videotapes there's an old old videotape extraordinary footage of UFOs that were seen in broad daylight next to the uh, I believe Cinco de Mayo parade where they had all the military out there and they had they actually uh, scrambled jets that were flying over the parade had to divert to chase the UFO. And they basically had that on video. I mean, that's, that's old stuff now, but I was quite startled when I saw that footage. Cause it, it sure looked real to me. Well, yeah, that's just it. it, it it's so much out there. And you know what? We ran out of time. James, do you have about a half an hour tomorrow night so we can continue on? <laughs> um, Probably. We we probably should discuss exactly when that would be. I'll have my producer get a hold of you tonight uh, shortly, and let's work out to see if we can get you back on here for at least a half an hour tomorrow night. How's that? That sounds good. Well, James, hey, I want to thank you for being on the show, but you know, every time you're on, the time is like a time warp. It just goes by so fast. I I have a great passion for this subject, as you may gather, and... It has so many fascinating angles and the history of UFOs and how human beings have related to them, analyzed them, changed because of them. This is fascinating history. Oh, it is. And it is. Well, my friend, uh, we will talk to you later. I do appreciate you coming on tonight. 
Thank you so much for the opportunity, Gary. Okay, you take care. All right. Bye now. Boy, our time tonight just went by so fast. But don't forget, July 27th, we got a special guest. Dr. Stephen Greer is going to be on talking about, well, what's going on with ufology. And that's going to be an interesting show. Tomorrow, we got some great guests. And then Friday, uh, we'll have some really great guests. Plus, we're going to have call-ins starting at 9 p.m. Pacific West Coast time, 12 a.m. Eastern. Again, if you call in and tell us a story or about a sighting of UFO, whatever, you're going to get a Metatron Power and Light t-shirt. You're going to get a paranormal book. We'll even pay to have it shipped to you. What more could you get? And uh, you might want to write this number down. Our call-in number is 1253-203-6681. That's 1253-203-6681. We'll turn the lines on actually about 9.01 on Friday, and you can call in. And again, I want to thank everybody who's been on chat tonight, Tim and Travis and Barb and all everybody. You know, it's really, YouTube has just really been growing so fast. Well, till tomorrow, everybody, I want you to have a good one. Stay out of trouble if you can, and we will catch you tomorrow. You are listening to Night Dreams Talk Radio.